On today's show, we're going to talk about the really exciting topic of service labor rates. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there and Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. On this week's Teaching Moment, we're going to take a deep dive into service labor rates with the one and only Mr. Gary Ellix. We had some questions come in this week that go right to the heart of this issue, so I want to share the question with you. The question reads, I recently received your sample on your pricing course. It was great information, especially the walkthrough with Gary Ellix on pricing add-on replacement jobs. This has also gotten me to thinking that my service labor rate is probably too low. I need to fix this, but I don't know where to start. Great question. Listen, one of the things that we know is that this business can be tough. And, you know, you got to make sure that if you're working hard, you're making money. And the only way you're going to make money uh, is to work hard, but also make sure that you're proper pricing. So let's take a look at Gary Ellix as he gets to this topic to make sure that we're properly pricing our service rates. First and foremost, what we want to do is we want to understand our cost structures of our base wage. So a lot of questions will be asked about this. Do I use my highest cost technician uh, or do I use a blended average of the technician? And uh, the answer is there is no right answer to that. Uh, from a fundamental point of view, we don't know who we're dispatching out. So if we have two techs or if we have 18 techs or you're a company that has 300 techs, it doesn't matter. You don't really know who's going to be dispatched to any given call. So the idea that you use a blended average makes probably the most sense, though there are plenty of companies that have used just the highest price technician. And so if they send out a technician that has a lower base wage, the company is winning, and so everybody's pretty comfortable with that principle. Uh, the second thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to deal with your efficiency. The efficiency is going to be defined as, as the hours that we have billed out versus the hours that we have paid out. Uh, so we've talked about that in previous discussions. Uh, six hours billed, eight hours paid gives me a 75% efficiency ratio. The industry average right here is about 50%, so I would recommend that we start with the industry average at 50%. I will say this. Uh, in all the years of working with independent companies on a consulting basis, one thing that has come up is most companies think their efficiency is higher than it is. And so what ha typically happens is we'll say, well, let's get the last 60 days worth of physical invoices. Let's pull them out. And what we can do is we can put them on a table and we can start sorting them and separating them into billable and non-billable. And uh, usually what I do is just do a basic Excel spreadsheet and I'll start putting in time in, time out versus the actual time that was billed. Uh, we'll collect a few time cards from the guys, match up the time and the payroll for the week. So it's pretty simple in two months. We can get about four or five pay periods and uh, analyze that and say, these are the hours that we paid out for the technician and here's the hours that we actually billed out. And uh, inevitably, the efficiency comes in below 50%. So when I say use 50%, that's the industry average. One thing that really impacts that is our travel time, our diagnostic, our dispatching procedures, and just a general understanding of technician competency and who we're sending out to the type of work. So there's a lot of places where we can go wrong with that, and that's part of the reason efficiency ends up being a little bit lower. Plus things like warranty, callbacks, training, um, those are good uses of time, but they're still inefficient because we're not billing. So it's not a question of is inefficiency a good thing or a bad thing. It is a question of understanding what yours is and then applying it to a pricing strategy that makes sense. The third area is the benefit costs. I need to know what your benefit costs are. 
That's going to be your FICO Fudicuda, your health care, your uh, benefits that you might pay for dental or medical, uh, any vacation time, holiday pay. That is uh, driven by the budgeting process. If you haven't spent any time with the budgeting process uh, in the budgeting section, there is a benefit calculation tool so you can figure that out. For today's purposes, we're going to use 30% because that's the cost of benefits in my particular company. In your particular company, you can use whatever number you want as we go through the examples. And then the fourth area is the KPIs, key performance indicators. For those of you that have been through the benchmarks discussion, that is essentially 22% cost of wage against the actual labor rate. So when I set a street labor rate of X, call it $100, I can be no higher than 22% of that labor rate that I'm billing to the customer. So $22 would be the maximum that I could spend on a wage here against a $100 rate. The problem with that is efficiency. If I'm 50% uh, efficient, that means the $100 rate, really, I only get one hour billed for every two hours that I actually pay. So in other words, $22 will be in relationship to $100, but we may have to have a rate of uh, $200 because we're billing only one out of every two hours. The last issue then is the discounts for service agreements. Um, not necessary for you to do that. It's something that I would recommend. Uh, we obviously want a culture of service agreements. We want to develop more service agreements than uh, the, uh, the other companies in the marketplace to lock down our customers and our customer relationship and marketing model. So what we want to do is we want to make it easy for the technician to sell a service agreement on a crisis demand service call. So by creating a discount, that's actually going to lower the price of the service repair based on the strategy. If we're going to do that, then that means that that $100 rate, if it's discounted, is no longer going to be $22. So what we have to do is we have to gross up that rate. And so I'll take you through the tool. These are all areas that you're going to have to deal with relative to the financial structure of setting your service labor rate. You know, sometimes we see contractors, they're just not charging enough on their service labor rate. So let's get back with Gary Ellis and take a look at what it takes to make sure we're charging enough so we can deliver the service that our homeowners expect. There's probably some people out there right now that are A, nervous, or B, saying my customers won't pay $3.18 an hour, uh, or C, <coughs> you're saying probably if I have to do it at $3.18, um, I may lose a large portion of my customer base based on the idea that that's a much higher rate. Uh, a couple things to consider. Um, the customer does not know your rate in flat rate, so nobody really knows it's $3.18 or it's $2.73 or it's $150. It doesn't matter. The blended rate is organized with the part to create a flat rate repair. Um, second, you can bundle repairs, you can bundle service agreements, and there's a lot of different flat rate systems out there that are very successful models. At the end of the day, a couple of things that you're going to want to do are you're going to want to train your technicians and you're going to want to train your organization to deliver a great value proposition and a great brand promise. Now, if you're doing that and you're giving a customer a 20% discount and I give you a lifetime repair guarantee as long as you maintain a club relationship with me, that incents you to stay in the club each year or multiple years if you want to purchase that from me. But it also says to you, I'm willing to back up my warranty and my, my repair guarantee. And so one of the things that I would like you to write down as a part of this conversation is from a pricing philosophy point of view, you want to price to be aggressive at your customer service practices. The best companies on the planet are not the least expensive companies. The best companies in any industry or in any trade are typically the most expensive or more expensive than their peers. But the one thing that they do better than everyone else is they simply take care of their problems and they take care of their customer relationships. So I'm encouraging you to create a price point that's profitable for you 
But I'm also encouraging you to make sure that we train our technicians and we train our team underneath to deliver a great brand promise and the deliverable is there. So a customer is not likely to complain if they're satisfied. Um, I've been to high-end restaurants and low-end restaurants and it's the same thing. I don't mind paying the extra money for the meal at the restaurant, but if the deliverable isn't there, then I feel worse about that having paid more money for it. So the trick is if it's a low-end cost and there's no deliverable, we really don't expect a lot. So our expectations are set based on the pricing model. So one of the things that we have to do is price so that we can be aggressive at customer service, meaning that we're gonna take care of the client pretty much at all costs. And so part of the lifetime guarantee and the repair is we have to be at $318 an hour in order to be able to support the idea that if there's a failure on that condenser fan motor and that person's in our club, we're taking care of it. And uh, we're not even gonna discuss it. It's just gonna happen automatically because that's a value proposition that we believe in. As always, some killer content from Mr. Gary Ellix. You know, EGIA has put together some powerful content for you guys, and I hope you're taking advantage of this if you're a member. If you're not a member, fill out the form to the right of this video, select a sample training package, and dive into some powerful content absolutely free. On this week's Q&A section, we got some great questions about how do you differentiate your company? I mean, how do you stand out? We know it's a very cluttered market out there. You may have 100, 200, 300 companies in your market. You got to figure out a way to kind of to kind of stand out from the crowd. You got to find a way to have some competitive advantage and to differentiate yourself from all the competitors. I want you to take a quick look at this clip from our weekly Ask the Experts call. We're going to talk about how to differentiate your company. I'm probably going to hire Wally Long and put him in a bikini and stand him out on a corner with one of those signs and have him spin it. And uh, <laughs> Wally. We, we'd make millions, millions. So, um, yeah. It, at, at least answer, hundreds, if not millions of dollars, at least hundreds of dollars. Yeah, no, it would be more than that. That would be exciting. We'd make the media for sure. So the question, it, it's hard for me to interpret if this is uh, on the advertising and marketing messaging or if this is something that we're talking about, you know, in the home after I've got a lead and the customer has some form of a, a relationship, meaning that I already have interfaced. So I'm gonna take the first one and assume that this is, uh, I've gotta communicate some form of a message out you know, to a client. So you, you, I think you need a brand promise and the brand promise needs to be strong enough and unique enough that no one else has it, no one is willing to follow you. Uh, so for us, it's pretty simple. We're the home of the lifetime repair guarantee uh, so most people won't follow us because they think we're crazy for doing that on the service repairs. Um, uh, most contractors get a little nervous. They get the heebie-jeebies to be able to deal with the idea. Well, lots of these repairs actually occur. A lifetime repair guarantee is, um, you know, is an aggressive uh, uh, brand promise, but it is. Uh, and one thing about a brand promise is it's also measurable. So um, not only can we say that that makes us unique, and it makes us stand out and it attracts customers from a messaging point of view. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do with that, but it also is measurable. So I can absolutely put some metrics to it and, uh, and price it. Uh, additionally, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, we can institute an extended warranty package that becomes part of our world, which we've done, uh, you know, home of the 16 year parts and labor guarantee. Uh, manufacturers don't offer that. That's something that we do uniquely to ourselves. Uh, we've now escalated that to 20 years. 
Um, simply for the same reason, we don't want anybody to be able to follow that. Uh, it's a messaging and it's promotional, it's measurable, and it stands out and it makes people say, well, gosh, you know, I probably ought to call them. Um, so um, we could spend hours on this conversation, but I think what you want to do as a contractor, uh, if it's a messaging question here, is figure out how to make yourself stand out in a unique manner uh, that also isn't me too, that people will, won't necessarily follow. Uh, there's a guy down in uh, South Florida. He's also from New York. He's got about 80 automobile dealerships. Um, people on the East Coast are probably uh, familiar with him. Billy Fuscillo is his name, and he's the largest Kia dealer uh, in the world at this point. And uh, his advertising is uh, so bad that it's that memorable. And he's taken the entire position that the way he stands out is he legitimately uh, is kind of an ugly guy. And so he positions himself that way against a very beautiful wife or daughter. I'm not sure which it is, uh, but he now owns 80 dealerships across the United States and he sells more Kias than anyone else. And if you watch his advertising, it's painful. But when you're done, you remember it and you go, that's awful. And everybody's like, well, yeah. And then you look around Florida and about 50% of the Kias driving around have his tag, you know, in terms of his license plate. So, um, and he's well known throughout the New York area as well. So um, Reichert Ford in Columbus, Ohio is a Ford dealership. He's the largest Ford dealership in the United States. He shouldn't be the largest Ford dealership in the United States because Columbus, Ohio is not the largest marketplace and there's plenty of other Ford dealerships there. But he's taken a similar uh, position. He he plays a ukulele and he I don't know, I probably shouldn't even call it playing the ukulele. He attempts to play the ukulele and he sings and it's bad and it's just the absolute worst kind of commercial platform you've ever seen. But it's the exact same strategy. Uh, so either you have to be funny and creative and memorable or you have to be really stupid and bad. Uh, there's a lot of ways to create the messaging that people have that you want top of mind awareness and memorability. But I think what you want to do is I think you want to think creatively, aggressively and promotionally. And you want to take that stake and put it in the ground and don't change the platform. People make that mistake in marketing all the time. When people begin telling you that they're getting tired of it, that's when it's working. That's when you should double down. That's when you should reemphasize top of mind awareness and the idea of having Coca-Cola or Mickey Mouse or those types of brands, they haven't changed their strategy in terms of what they're doing. Um, they've modified some of the promotions and they've changed the creative a little bit, but they never changed the brand strategy or the brand promise. So Wally, I'll toss it to you. I know we could spend hours and hours on this. This is, this is a really good question. Yeah, I think sometimes, uh, and I think Drew kind of touched on it using some focus groups and asked people, about various considerations, whatever it is. And sometimes just use some common sense in that feedback. I remember one time when my son was about 13, we were driving around town here and this van came past us and the name of the company was All Right Plumbing and Heating. And at 13 years old, he turned to me, he goes, dad, why would you want to say your company's just all right? <laughs> why wouldn't you say like the best or excellent plumbing and heating or whatever? So sometimes just some common sense can go a long way. Listen, there's a million things you can do to stand out from kind of the industry standards of parking in the street and putting booties on to maybe being one of these companies that offer an amazing experience with gift baskets at the end after the installation, that kind of stuff. There's a million things there. The key to remember, I think, are two things. Uh, and Drew really touched on it. Number one, you got to be different. You know, there's got to be some differentiation. The problem with competitive advantage or differentiation is that people catch up pretty quick. Right? There was a time where wearing booties, for example, was a big thing in the house. Now, if you don't do it, 
you know, it's you're kind of behind the eight ball. So people figure things out, people copy, they model, and and and, and things change. So it's about staying ahead of that curve and, and doing stuff that other people aren't doing. You know, uh, if, if if you're advertising 24-hour service, that's kind of what people expect from a heating and air conditioning and plumbing company. So there's a million different things you can do, but it's always about staying ahead. One of the things I have learned is that a lot of times it's just about doing something that other people are doing it, but doing it way, way better. And the example, I, I'll use two examples. One was with my company. When I started my company, by that time in uh, 2004, 2005, it was, uh, it was fairly common that people were offering one and two year money back guarantees, right? From the CSG and airtime guys and that stuff. It was pretty popular. Though, you know, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people, maybe 25% of the companies were offering pretty aggressive types of guarantees and, and that type of thing. But what we did, we offered that too, but we made it kind of the heartbeat of our company. And our selling proposition was 100% right or 100% free. So other companies were doing it. We just did it better because we, we took it to a ridiculous level. We marketed on everything and we took it to a ridiculous level. We would, uh, I remember one time we refunded a guy, a military guy, uh, the cost of his air conditioning because he got transferred uh, within the first year. And of course we made a big deal of that letter and we'd use it on every sales, sales opportunity. And so we just did something that, that everybody was doing. A lot of people were doing. We just made it a bigger focus. And it reminds me of uh, another uh, uh, mutual friend of all of ours in Southern California. You know, it's not uncommon now that a lot of people train their technicians that if you see the newspaper, pick it up and bring it in. Or as Drew suggested, you know, help them take down some Christmas lights or doing some type of thing. Well, they've taken this idea and they've just, you know, they've shoved steroids in it and it's become who they are. Their selling proposition is heating and AC and good deeds for free. And so that's on every piece of marketing. It's good deeds for free is the core of who they are. And they go overboard with it, or maybe not overboard, but they take it to a, 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 a very extreme degree. They incentivize their, their service technicians and salespeople to do things, get confirmation from the homeowner, they get points. Points that can add up to a new trip at the end of the year, a, a, a trip to Vegas or the Bahamas or whatever. Uh, they do videos every single month documenting these good deeds. When something really great happens, they go out and interview the homeowner. They use it in their commercials. They use it on the YouTube channel. So again, a lot of people are doing those types of things, but they've taken a very simple idea and they're doing it better than everybody else. And they market it and talk about it better than anybody else. So distinguishing your company, it's, it's like what Gary's talked about with the guarantees in their company. I mean, it's ridiculous. Nobody else would even try to. And when they even get a sense that somebody might try to, they go from 16 to 20 years. They're always going to be one step ahead of where everybody else is trying to be. So it, it's figuring out something that you can use to define your company. And it doesn't have to be 10 different things. It could be one thing that you do better than everybody else may be doing it to some degree, but you do it better and you communicate it better. I think that's the key to, you know, kind of that, that, that brand uniqueness and, and really positioning, uh, letting people know who you are. Now, if you're a member of the Contract University, don't forget, myself, Gary Ellis, and Drew Cameron do our Ask the Experts calls at 10 a.m. Pacific. I guess that's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. And it's the three of us, Gary, uh, myself, and Drew, answering any questions you have live to just talk about what you're doing with your pricing, with your operations, with your sales, any question you want to ask. So check out the Ask the Experts call 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. We hope you got some good content there on making sure that you're charging enough on your service labor rate, not just to turn a profit, but to be able to fulfill the service requirements to you know, deliver the service that your customers expect. We appreciate you joining us. We'll see you again next week right here on Cracking the Code. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye for now.